Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. Welcome to another episode of Culture Conversations. Today you'll be hearing from Stephen Crenshaw, a husband, father, pastor, and partnership manager with 20 Schemes, a church planning initiative to plant churches in the projects or the schemes of Scotland. I trust you'll be encouraged. Friends, welcome to another episode of Culture Conversations. I'm here with my homie, Stephen Crenshaw uh, of 20 Schemes and Church in Hard Places with Acts 29, but he also pastors a church. Steve, what's your church called? Man, we're in the sticks of Kentucky, brother. We're Victory Baptist Church. And you guys brew your own bourbon, right? Like you have a bourbon cellar? Well, we're right in, right outside of uh, Bardstown. So it's the bourbon capital of the world. That's what I thought, I grew up on Jim Beam's property. My dad pastors a church literally right outside of Jim Beam. Oh, so, for real? Yeah. It's so just, it was in your bottle as a baby. Bro, it, you can smell it in the air. You can just you can just get a little taste. Oh, man. So how are you not an alcoholic? That's a good question. Grace of God. <laughs> yes. So, bro, before we jump in, I want to, man, I want to capture your story. You have such an interesting story. Um, but man, we were, so you and I attend Grimke seminary together and we get to kick it twice a semester, hang out a bit. Uh, we first met though, at, uh, at the airport, if you remember in Syracuse, New York, you were presenting, uh, 20 schemes at a shepherd, the flock conference and, uh, you and MSD were there and Scott Prentice and I were in the airport and you guys just happened to show up in the same terminal that was empty. It was like us and no one else. And uh, we yeah. got a ticket. So that was that was cool, man. Um, yeah. Bro, we and then the next week, I was just rooming with you guys. I know. It's like, I know. It was weird. It was, it was providential is what it was. Um, but brother, you have such a unique journey. So we, we were eating German at, uh, at a Grimke intensive there in Richmond, Virginia. And you told a story about you and Matthew Spangler Davis. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Spandler Davison. Okay, Davidson. Davison. Yeah. Davison. Okay. MSD for short. Uh, you were in Africa, and when you go to Africa, you have to go on safari. So you were on yeah. safari, and you told us this crazy story, man. You want to open with that story? Yeah, man. So we uh, were in Zimbabwe. Um, so I've been in Africa twice this year, but the second trip we were in Zimbabwe and uh, doing some training with some guys out in the bush and uh, one of the last days we're headed up towards Victoria Falls and we go out on this camp. It's called uh, Iganyana, I think. And so we, we go out in this camp and there's just immediately just, you know, massive herds of elephants walking around. But man, when I, we rolled up in there and um, it was weird because there's all these guys with like heavy guns, mm-hmm. like, automatics and right. um i'm like okay here we go so we step out and in, into the bush and they're like hey there's been a lot of predators here it's the first thing they tell me right and i'm from kentucky man we got like bears i'm like uh, there i mean but there's like nothing right out here so we come out and he's like man there's been a lot of predators out in the camp this year he's like last night we had lions just roaming through the camp so they don't go out after dark they give us all these rules and they're like just be careful we're gonna have a guard walking with you and we're like, okay, cool. Uh, these This herd of water buffalo were moving through the area. About 800 of them were moving through. And uh, 
they gave us a whistle, man. So they, they put us in a tent at night and they said, Hey, if a lion comes inside your tent, blow the whistle. And so I had to clarify because that's just me. So I'm like, okay, if he's on the outside of the tent, do I blow the whistle? He's like, no, no, you'll just attract it. Said, just blow the whistle if he's inside the tent. I said, okay, got it. So lion outside the tent, don't blow the whistle. Inside the tent, blow the whistle. And so there there was a guard who's going to stay up all night. But man, it was like, it was crazy. So about 4 a.m., like I'm I'm dead asleep and then just right outside the tent and we just start hearing all these lions just start roaring and calling back left and right and MSD is all like under his blanket just trying to like he's just freaking out and dude it was uh it was one of those moments it's like you know, it's just surreal. It's like, oh, dude, you don't know if it's going to come in. You don't know how close they are. And in the morning, kind of went outside and just paw prints just everywhere. So they, they just moved through the camp again that night. And it was just, it's just wild, man. It's just one of those moments you just, just won't forget. Were you able to go back to sleep? Uh, so that was about 4 a.m. And we actually had a game drive at like 6 a.m. I don't think I went back to sleep. I was yeah. like, and man, honestly, there were some huge old spiders up in there. So I was like, I was more terrified of one of them things crawling in my mouth at night. Oh man, were they in your tent? Yeah, yeah, they were everywhere. Oh, like I was right before I went to bed, I was just standing there, and then I just saw like a fingers. It was like just big spider legs, just just move, bro. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm a country boy. A country boy can survive, but bro, I was I was petrified. Mm, tarantulas are not your deal in Kentucky. No, sir. <laughs> I mean, thanks for telling that story. Bro, so you you have um come into ministry in a very unique way. Uh maybe mm-hmm. we could start here by you telling your story of coming to faith, but then also how did you become a pastor of a church? It's such a, a unique story. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start with my um, just my story of coming to faith. Uh, so my parents have been uh, believers. I came out of the womb singing Amazing Grace. My mom is like the sweetest lady, and my dad has just been a faithful pastor 27 years at the same church. Wow. Um, my dad's always said that this church is going to take me out in a straitjacket or a coffin. And so he's just, he's man, he's been in the trenches. Um, and so it's very faithful parents gave me room to fail, gave me grace, gave me love, and just literally lived out the gospel. Um, but I got saved pretty young, like most PKs, uh, made just a very quick decision. Um, but then really around the age 13, 14, had a pretty big faith crisis where I, um, I kind of figured, you know, if my dad were a Jew, devout Jew, my mom were devout Jew, I'd probably be a devout Jew. If my parents were devout Muslim, I'd probably be a Muslim. Um, And so just kind of logically, I started really contemplating, is my faith my own? Mm. Is this thing that I have with God, is it it real or is it, or am I just a product of living in the South in America? Am I just a product of my parents? Am I just a product of the culture around me? Um, And that's I mean, I I, li- I really struggled very young with that. Um, How old just, you were? Man, I was I was probably 13, 14, just coming in, you know, teenage years and just really struggling and wasn't really sure if like it was real, you know, like um, so 
uh, man, that's when God in his grace, um, just did a work in me. So I remember reading, um, ask, seek and knock, right. And I will, I will answer, but you must search for me with all your heart. And so I, um, I, for the first time really in my life, I began to ask God for something like, Lord, how do I know you're real? Cause I do, I, do, I, rem- I remember Paul saying like, this is either real or it's not. Mm-hmm. And if it's not real, eat, drink and party for tomorrow we die. Um, but if it is real, go, you know, all the way. And so I just was, I was just right there, man, where I didn't want to play the game. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want to say, I believe, but not actually do it. And so I just really began to seek God and man, this is when it gets weird. Um, it was like four in the morning, one day, in hebrews and so so pause for one second bro you just cut out at the opportune time so back up to this gets weird because that's where you cut out (laughs) okay yeah so things got weird um i I went to bed and it was about four in the morning and i heard a whisper into my ear that said it's in hebrews um so i jumped out of my bed i ran to my parents room i was shaken to my core Ran to my parents' room. I was like, Dad, there's someone in my room. Mm. My my dad comes running in there in his whitey tighties. Sorry, Dad. He comes running in there. He's like, there's no one in here. He goes back to bed. Um, I remember laying there that night going, what was that? It's wow. in Hebrews. I was terrified. And just the next, the next day, man, I, I just remembered that there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. And so... I just opened it up, landed on chapter 11 and started reading by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Moses, right? All this, the great hall of faith started really reading that and started thinking about, you know, faith, um, apart from sight. And I wasn't convinced. Mm. I heard the whisper. It was sharp. It was clear. And I was just like, you know what? That could have been the burrito I ate last night. That, that could have been me knowing Hebrews, trying to tell myself in my sleep to try to soothe some kind of moral spiritual crisis that I'm having. I told myself in my sleep to go to Hebrews. Mm. And so I was so convinced. And then that's when God finished me off the next day. Just, just the light bulb of all light bulbs went off when I opened my Bible to Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. And it says, whatever I whisper into your ear at night, shout from the rooftops. Mm. When I read that verse, it's almost as if the world stopped. Mm. And for the first time in my life, there was such a clarity and a real deep belief that Jesus is actually God. He is actually real. And he's actually only pleased with people who come to him by faith, Amen. not by sight. And man, that set me on a, a path, a trajectory Right around 14, I started getting really heavily involved with FCA. I, I just went all the way. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, for those who don't know. Yep, Fellowship of Christian Athletes in high school. Started leading devotionals, prayers at the pla- uh, the flagpole. Bro, I was, I was, I, I went in. Um, and so um, that's when my faith really began to take shape. My parents, huge credit to them uh, for just being faithful and really sharing the gospel with me and living the gospel in my home. Uh, my sisters are amazing. They, they're all in ministry today. Wow. Um, How many siblings do you have? I have two sisters. I'm the baby. Okay. And uh, all their, their husbands faithfully serve in the church. And it's a, 
man, I couldn't be more blessed with the family that I've been given. Um, but so right after there, uh, high school, I start, um, I start a, a youth pastor job at this church I'm at now. So, um, I'm young. I'm like 19. I look like one of the youth. Um, I'm, you know, take the youth to youth camp and, and they're all telling me to go to class because they think I'm one of the students. I was so young, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, small church, country church. And so about a couple of years in, four years in, my, my senior pastor, his name's Tony Stamps. Um, he's diagnosed with uh, cancer. And Tony, um, me and him had a great relationship. He was one of the, my dad's best friends. Um, he has a, uh, a handicapped daughter named Ashley Stamps, who's, uh, who can't really walk or talk. And so you have to feed her and take care of her. Um, and so just a really hard situation. And so while Tony was sick, I began to preach um, and fulfill the pulpit while he was out. And then when he passed away, um, the church called me at a pretty young age to pastor the church. Hold on. Um, so I was about 24. Wow. Spurgeon, yeah. man. And no, no, sir. No Spurgeon here. <laughs> Maybe like his redneck step cousin or something like that. Yeah. Um, but man, it was, it was a really hard situation. So I kind of came into the pastorate through kind of pain and, um, but man, his, his wife, Terry, she's on my staff right now. She's, she's the strongest and most amazing woman, uh, that I know, man, she wow. is just committed and passionate and still serving the church and, uh, wow. just getting it done. And so, yeah, so that's kind of my, my faith story. And then I've been at the same church ever since. Wow. So how old, not how old, but what year was this that your senior pastor passed away and you became the senior pastor? What year was this? Um, so that was around some 32. So what, around 20, I don't know. Can't remember. I'm horrible with dates, bro. Me too, man. I'm like the worst. Not 2020. <laughs> Definitely not 2020. I don't know, like 2012, 13, something right there. So it's been a, it's been about a decade for you since you've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been at the church about 12 years now. Yeah. Wow, wow, man, that is a unique story, brother. So you basically had to wrestle your way through without really training or without experience just well your dad was a pastor so i'm sure you were able to lean on him yeah for sure so my my dad's the best seminary i've ever had mm. um just watched him uh grew up going into the hospital rooms with him listening to him preach um he's a phenomenal preacher takes it very serious he's always studied the word um so definitely i definitely had a um a leg up because of because yeah. of him yeah um that's very providential man that you can probably lean on him in hard situations. Uh, from the outside looking in, pastoring can seem sometimes glorious and, and awesome and excellent. But once you're on the inside of it, it's a lot of struggle. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of suffering. It's a lot of trouble, right? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't have people to lean on and coaches and counselors and peers, man, you drown. So it's, it's very providential that you were probably able to lean on your dad a lot, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and I, I didn't have any, I knew ministry was going to be horrible, like not horrible as in like, you know, the worst job you could ever have, but I knew it was difficult, uh, most rewarding job you could have, but definitely I just knew that the, how difficult church was. 
um, and just watching my dad, but still, you know, felt called to do it. And I didn't want to, I definitely, and like growing up, I was like, I just don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. And then God is like, yeah, yeah, you want to do so. Yeah. So this is what you're doing. So, wow, man. So interestingly, you somehow found your way into uh, a ministry based in Scotland. I believe Mez McConnell is the founder of 20 Schemes. Uh, can you talk about one, what is 20 Schemes? And then two, how did you get kind of into that ministry? Yeah, so uh, MSD and uh, Mez met via Mark Dever in 2012. Both had a heart for Scotland. Matthew moved here uh, to Louisville, Kentucky to go to seminary. And God called him to plant a church here in Bardstown. That's why we have a U.S. headquarters in Kentucky for Scotland. I know it's really weird. It's very confusing for people. Um, so they had a heart for it. Um, met, and then 20 Schemes was birthed from there. And so 20 Schemes is a ministry that uh, plants and revitalizes churches in the poorest communities of Scotland. Uh, we Schemes are government housing. We would call them projects here in the States. Uh, schemes are located on the outskirts of the cities there, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Inverness, up north. And so the really the hope is in the name. So 20 schemes, we want to plant 20 uh, churches in 20 schemes across Scotland that will become autonomous church planting churches. Mm. And that's the goal. And we're around eight churches right now uh, with a big, big, big vision to plant out west in Glasgow, one of the most densely populated cities there in Scotland. And there's about 97 schemes in Glasgow alone, wow. 97. And none of these have gospel witnesses. Um, it's less Scotland is less than 2% evangelical Christian. Uh, so it's really an unreached people group at this point. Uh, you're more likely now, I think the scales in the in UK just tipped. You're more likely to meet. Um, if you talk to someone on the street, they're most likely an atheist. That's, mm. and that's kind of, it's trended that way. So Scotland's a kind of Christian um, heritage has halved every decade since 1950 and it has it has tanked and america is is seemingly following suit there so so the need is to revitalize scotland and you know the great reformers john knox you know we have the great missionaries uh, mary slesser or david livingston coming out of scotland and so the, the hope and the plan is to bring the light of the gospel to the poorest communities in scotland um, and so most of the people that we are planting with have been uh, abused. They have maybe been the abuser. They've all come from trauma or maybe criminal backgrounds or uh, just just poverty. And so um, we know that the we don't want to just alleviate poverty. We want to, you know, the spiritual poverty that's going on there in Scotland. So it's, so the solution is a, a gospel preaching church. Mm. And that's what we want to plant. Man, that's beautiful. Um, you forgot McShane, bro, and Ferguson and Alistair Begg. You forgot, yeah, bro. The, the list goes on, and then you know you think about actors that come out of Scotland, bro. We got James McAvoy. You got um, Gerard Butler. You got. I mean, it's crazy. There's a lot of talent that's come out of Scotland. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. And then I went on a vision trip with Twenty Schemes uh, just because I want I felt I knew Matthew. I wanted to support um, one of the church plants there, and so I went on a vision trip with Twenty Schemes, support a church. What is a vision island. trip? Before you go further, yeah. So a vision trip is just come and see, come and see the work. Uh, so I, you pass a group of pastors from the states will go uh, twice a year, 
just to walk the schemes, get to know Mez, get to know some of the church planners, and then see how they can partner with the churches. And so really, uh, church to church, it's an adoption. You'll adopt a church, and you'll have relationship with them, communication. Uh, if you send teams, you'd, they'd go to that church. They, you would know that scheme, and then you'd really just, man, it's uh, just partnership from there on. And so got good gospel partnership. And so so that's what I did, partnered with uh, Merck Kinch. And man, when I was in Scotland, I just remember feeling like, Lord, I want to help more than just a partnership, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm. Uh, and then a couple of years later, um, it just worked out. I just started working for him. So, so I've been with 20 schemes for about two years now and deal with kind of partnership development, helping churches connect with churches in Scotland and then building those relationships together. Mm. And you travel a lot. You were just north of Pittsburgh, I believe, in Newcastle, right? Recently. Yes, sir. I'll be in uh, Syracuse next week again. All right. With Mike, you travel like once a week, don't you? I mean, you're out no, it's it's like not like MSD travel, but it's it's been about twice, usually like twice a month. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and so you're going to these churches, various churches that want to maybe explore a vision trip. Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah, just sort of partnership. If they, you know, just getting more information and really letting people, because when people think mission trips, they they think you know a lot of third world countries. They think about other places in Scotland. Like in the UK itself is just, it's so, it's so dark. Um, it's a beautiful country, um, but it is, it is spiritually dark. And so I kind of go and help educate the church on uh, 20 schemes and what they, what they can do and how they can partner. Um, and so it's spent a lot of time traveling in that regard and then going to conferences and setting up a booth and just trying to talk to pastors and mission teams wherever I can. Yeah, you represent 20 schemes. So I'm looking for, bro, a 20 schemes t-shirt at least before I go over with you. Bro, I'll get you some swag. I'll um, swag you up. So, bro, let's. I want to hit on something that you just mentioned. Um, in Pittsburgh, we have not schemes, but we have quite a few projects. And our church is in one of the one of the depressed parts of Pittsburgh. So we deal with a lot of trauma, a lot of people who either are wrestling with drugs or have in their past. Uh, and it's interesting that poverty and drugs and violence and broken families kind of all go together. And it mm -hmm. seems like that's the flavor of the schemes is you just have so much brokenness, but it's all webbed and meshed together. It's not one thing. It's usually there's, they're all kind of a big tangled mess. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And there's just, um, and I, I think we just identify it as, socioeconomic problems that just cause a lot of um a lot of tension a lot of um just ongoing issues and um, so like for people in the schemes the difference between projects and schemes is um in the schemes they're not they don't want to leave they don't want to get out they're not trying to get out of their situation um a lot of what they have comes from the government they're not really incentivized to leave and it's also their family. Their family lives there. Their parents have lived there and um, it's, it's home. You know, they wouldn't consider it as a, a bad place. Um, about 48% of all Scotland, you know, natives live in schemes. Is that so, right? Wow. Yeah. 50% so of Scotland yeah. lives in these project houses. That's right. Government housing facilities. Yeah. So, and you know, that's just the, that's just the truth. It's home, you know? And so, um, about and about forty five percent of the people that live in those schemes are unemployed, mm -hmm. and so there's just a lot of just issues that kind of happening and create itself there. Um, 
you know, we deal with, you know, racism here in the States and they deal with a different type, which is more um, class system based. Um, so, you know, you have benefits class, middle class, upper middle class, and then, you know, guys like me and you royalty, you know, at right. the top, top of the chain. Um, Meanwhile, in the States, we would be <laughs> lower middle, middle class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. If that. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So there's just a, a host of issues. Um, a lot of the things when, you know, we're sharing the gospel with people, it's where was God when I was being abused? Mm. Where was God when um, I was being raped? Um, where was he then? And so working through the gospel and we know the gospel is the only hope. And so we know that the gospel can do uh, miraculous things. And so that's why we want to plant. That's the long-term vision. And, you know, 20 schemes, churches are small. Um, we're in it for the great, great grandchildren. Um, we're our measures of success as a church planning organization. Isn't how many people did you baptize and how many life changes have you seen? It's, did you go and did you stay? Did you stay in the area? Did you love the people? Even though it wasn't reciprocated, even though maybe no one's coming into the church, did you stay in an area and are you committed to them? Um, one of my, our church planners, his name's Gerald White. He always says that, you know, he moved to the scheme and he wants to bring his coffin with him. Um, and that's, man, that's really what we need is people to, to move into this, the broken communities and to stay there, you know, to see the gospel do its work. Mm, wow. Yeah, man, that's, that's legitimate. And just so people can understand kind of maybe Scotland is primarily one ethnicity, right? It's not like the States. Yeah. People could get a demographic idea of what that looks like. Yeah. You would in majority are white. Um, so, but there are certain schemes that have immigrants that have been moving into them. Okay. Um, and so some of the schemes are more diverse than others. Okay. And so, it's, we do a lot of training with the church planner and the pastors and the teams that move in to, to really understand the scheme that they're moving into and then the people that they were, are going to represent. So each scheme is almost like its own culture. It is. It's its own. Understand. Yeah. So it's its own culture and they won't leave their scheme to go to another one. So which is Mezes Church um, in Edinburgh, Nidri Community Church. Um, it, it borders Bingham. Uh, that's literally less than a mile away. Um, and so we have to plant a church in Bingham because the people will not walk across the street into Nidri. They're going to stay in that community. So if there's 97 schemes in Glasgow and no one's going to leave their specific scheme, they're going to stay there. They have a grocery store. They got a school system. They got their own thing in their own scheme. Then they're not going to walk across to the other one. They're not going to leave. So wow. our vision has to be each scheme needs a gospel planting church, a gospel church. So there's a lot of work. Yeah, there is a lot of work, man. It's legit. And and you, though not technically in Acts 29 yet, share that vision of God's strategy to reach the world is healthy churches, planting healthy churches. Absolutely. Uh, preach the gospel. Yeah, I love that. Um, so let's let's move on. We'll probably jump back and forth, but let's move on to church in hard places. So how did you, one, what is church in hard places? And then two, how did you get involved in that organization? Yeah, so Matthew and Mez, um, while planting churches in Scotland, um, have kind of had a DNA of how to plant churches in um, poor context. And so from that, we've seen a couple of church planning initiatives happen. We call them 20 Schemes Inspired Church Planning Initiatives. 
Uh, one would be um, New England church planning in uh, one would be uh, in Newfoundland, Canada. It's called Mile One Mission, Stephen Bray. And so there's these church planning initiatives that has kind of happened. And so Matthew Mez said, man, there's a, there's a big global need to have to train pastors in poor communities to see the gospel go to where people aren't going to these, you know, sexy areas. They're going out into the slums in Nairobi or wherever. Um, and so from that, Matthew and Mez started uh, a kind of a global church planning organization. And then they linked up ultimately with Acts 29. And so they've called that uh, Acts 29 Church in Hard Places. And that's where um, it's kind of cohort based. You identify a group of pastors in, a, in a, these poor communities or uh, just under-resourced communities. Uh, they will do training with them. And it's really to help them maybe potentially uh, be assessed as a Acts 29 church planter one day. Because some of these guys are not going to have seminary. They don't have the resources. They just need guys to help walk them through and they get them ready. And so that's kind of what Matthew um, is a uh, executive director over Church in Our Places. Uh, he's kind of over the Acts 29 global. And so I don't technically work for Matthew, but I've done uh, on the Acts 29 Church in Our Places side. But I do work through them and have done trips with them and has helped him because our office here in Kentucky, the bottom floor is Scotland, 20 schemes. And then you go upstairs and we have kind of church and hard places. We have two different, two different staffs here uh, that are working kind of globally and then for Scotland. And then it all kind of sometimes just will mesh, but nice. So brother, we, we have a partnership. Our church has a partnership with uh, university community church in Gula, Uganda. It's Northern Uganda, just below South Sudan. Um, and we went last year and did a pastor's training conference during COVID and 17 of those 40 men are in church in hard places doing the very same thing you're talking about. So they, they get digital books. Um, then they meet on zoom uh, or, or a like platform, and then they kind of talk through what they're learning, and then they write a paper based on whatever book they're reading. And I think they just finished What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert, so they're just starting. Yeah, yeah and then at the intensives, so, so they'll meet um, at least once a year, um, where they will present, they will preach, and so they can get feedback, and they will also... Um, they will also present a church planning strategy. Um, and then we can kind of critique that and then help them think that in their own context. Mm. That's helpful. That's really and really helpful. we have, we're trying to train indigenous guys to train indigenous guys. Okay. And that's really the goal is, is like, we don't want to be just the, you know, the, the people that come in, do all this stuff and then leave. We, we want to see indigenous leaders rise up, do the training and learn and then move on from there. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard, I heard MSD on a podcast with Tony Marita one time talk about how guys in these kind of developing nations or church in hard places, even in the United States, um, they don't learn the same way as your traditional seminary, you know, attendees, they don't get reading the book and then, you know, writing the papers and doing the the exams and whatnot. Uh, it's more hands-on. It's almost apprentice-like. Um, mm. Have you seen that being more of an effective learning tool than your traditional forms of seminary and school? Yeah, absolutely. Because the, you know, the guys in um, Kenya had different needs than the guys in Zimbabwe and different, different areas of that we thought we needed to focus on. And so, uh, 
some of the guys ha- are have only heard prosperity gospel, but mm-hmm. and they don't they don't know that what they're hearing and preaching is false because they've never been told they've, they've, this is all that they've heard. And so we want to gently help show them uh, the truth of the gospel and help them preach it and know it. And so a lot of that is Zoom calls. It's one-to-one. It's conversations, having them think through some theological uh, you know, questions in depth and then and then working from there. So we don't just want to say, oh, this is a prosperity guy. He, he doesn't know what he's saying. And let's, let's get rid of him. No, he needs, he needs help. He needs training. He needs someone to come alongside of him and help show him. And not all the guys stay with us. Some of them leave, but uh, man, I can't tell you how many stories there are of, of men who have come from these under-resourced areas who have gotten some of this training and are just on a trajectory uh, to do some amazing things for the Lord. Um, and so it's, it's an amazing thing to see. Um, so there's apprentices everywhere. There's, I mean, on, on every continent and God's just doing some amazing things. Yeah. I heard MSD in another talk he was giving say, just because someone is teaching false doctrine doesn't mean they're a false teacher. It might mean they just, they, they think this is Christianity. They have no other view of the scriptures other than this kind of framework that they've been given. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, their context, right? Yeah. It's coming out of that. Yeah, man. So what, bro, I'm now curious, how do you do all that you do, man? Like, how do you, cause you're, you're, you're also a husband and a father, man. So tell us about your family. Yeah. So my wife, Brittany, she's amazing. I, I, I definitely could not do what I do without her. She is um, independent. She is smart, brilliant. And man, she can, she can handle some things, bro. Like she, she calms me down. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm the one that gets like flustered and crazy and things are going nuts. And then she's like, Whoa, you should just breathe. You should just chill. Um, so God knew exactly what he was doing when he put us together and, uh, she's my best friend and she's amazing. Uh, and then I got three little kids, Riley, Lincoln, and Danny, um, two girls and a boy. And so eight, six and three. And so they're, they're fun. Uh, and that's, that is the hardest thing to be away from them. Uh, for sure. It doesn't matter if I'm away from them from a day or a week. Uh, it's, it's painful. And so I don't enjoy, uh, leaving them. I don't enjoy being on the road all the time, but I do, you know, want to fulfill kind of the role and the call that God has for me and want to, you know, treat my family, do, you know, treat, treat them well. And so, it's a balancing act and I'm not always the best at it. Um, I think I don't, you know, I don't want to lie. I think a lot of guys are like, I'm a high capacity guy and I've got everything together. Well, often my life is a mess and I'm trying to like, I really like use my time well. Um, and to, you know, dawn till sunset, you know, you got all these hours to really be, um, intentional with the time. And so that's one thing that my schedule and life has made me do is made me be, really intentional about my family, intentional about my church, intentional about everything that I'm doing. Because if I, if I slack or I'm not really focused in on something, everything just kind of gets a bit crazy. Um, so man, God's been gracious, taught me some lessons along the way, uh, faithful wife. And then my church, man, I, I have guys that will preach, uh, a really a church that loves me and it supports the mission, supports what I'm doing and supports, um, man, they just love us. And so I, I am, I am blessed beyond measure with the church that I have and the family that I have. Love it. Yeah, man. It seems like God has really placed you in a unique position to do what you do. 
Um, I know from just knowing a bunch of guys and having a family myself with three kids, you have to have those dynamics in place uh, mm-hmm. in order for you to do what you do. The, the, the wife of the pastor or church planter or missionary or whatever, um, you, you guys have to be the team. It's not like uh, you're, you're doing separate things. You guys are together in the same mission. It's just her role looks a little different and your role looks a little different, but you, uh, as you said, couldn't do it without her. Yeah. Yeah. She's vital. Um, and so I, my fruit is her fruit, honestly. I mean, it's, it's, she gets just as much credit for anything that the Lord does through me is yeah. through her, you know, cause we're, you know, we're one. And so, but at the same time, man, I'm always trying to go, Lord, I can spend more time with them or when I'm in the room with them, it's really taught me and I'm, I'm kind of blessed for this lesson, but when I'm in the room is to be present with them in the room. Instead of being um, on your phone or yeah, instead of being on the phone, you know, I like to play some more zone. I ain't going to lie. I like to jump on some call of duty. Um, like to play guitar. I like to go play basketball, I'm a big sports guy. Um, but man, being intentional and with the time that I have with them has really made me appreciate them more. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. I appreciate that. What would you say to any young aspiring uh, pastors, church planters, missionaries, a- any young guys who are hyped about ministry, what counsel would you give them? Oh man, you know, there's a lot of guys that come into seminary that haven't had the examples in their life. They don't really know what pastoral ministry is like. They ask the questions, they hear the responses, but until you experience, until you get kicked in the teeth yourself, you're not, you're not sure how you're going to respond. It's like UFC, you know, you got to get rocked a couple times in the cage and then you can kind of adjust and reassess, but you can't really, we can't, you know, can't perform that in the classroom. Um, so I think a lot of guys come in pretty sure of themselves and then they go through some trouble. They go through some trials and then they come back to reality. And my thing is just, man, is be flexible. You, you got to be okay with, flexibility in ministry. There's no really set schedule. It's your life. It's ingrained in who you are. Um, and use your time. Well, um, and, and really all the books that you're reading and learning, if you're, if you're doing all this stuff, you, you've taken in all this knowledge, but it's not connected with the heart or the hands. Um, then there's an issue there. So if with all your knowledge, you're not able to share the gospel with someone in Walmart or you don't, that's, you know, there's an issue there. So, <clears throat> It's, it's really for, for pastors. I, I tell them, one, connect with your people. Listen more than you speak when you're in conversation with them. Uh, get to know their heart. Learn how to read a room. I think a lot of guys struggle with that. <clears throat> Learn how to, you know, when you're in a meeting and know what to say, when not to say it. I made a lot of mistakes early. Uh, but reading the room, knowing your people, and prayer is vital mm. to the life of the pastor. If you're if you're uh reading more than you're praying, you kind of probably got that backwards. Mm. You need to be more dependent upon the spirit um, and trust in him. Who's given you your next breath, uh, trust in him for the life that you have. And then in his strength and in his power and in his will study the word and then administer the word to his people. Mm. That's good, man. I appreciate that. So if people want to find out about uh, either 20 schemes or church in hard places, or man, they're even interested in becoming a partner. How would they do that? 
Yeah, go to 20schemes.com. You can email me anytime, stephen.crenshaw20schemes.com. We'd love to talk with anybody about uh, Scotland or even Church in Hard Places or uh, just Grimke Seminary. It's a great seminary, and I think other guys, I mean, guys who just want to learn how to pastor, man, that's a great place for them to go and do that at. And so, yeah, shoot me an email. Go check out our website. Um, We're on all the social media channels, uh, just 20 Schemes Anything. Um, and you'll find us on YouTube and Instagram and you can get as much information as you want. Awesome. Brother, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man and you're intentional with your time. So thank you for spending this time with us. It's really appreciated. Love you, Chris. You're the man, bro. I didn't hip hop. Hilarious. I love this dude. You're a good guy, man. Love you too, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're going to have to do some uh, some hip-hop in some day here. We'll, we'll write some graffiti together. We'll go bomb. Well, let's mix it up. I'm ready. Cool. Love you, bro. See you, bro.